0: Welcome back to episode two of An Awakened Life. Our topic today, what is awakening? How are you doing today, Quinn? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Rhys? I am fantastic. I had uh, job interviews this morning. It's been a productive day. I'm ready to dive in. That's
1: wonderful to hear. Okay, so uh, what is awakening? Uh, what does that mean? What is the question that you're asking? So... What I'd like to illustrate today is the perspective
0: of awakening from the, the perspective of personal development. I think that awakening can mean a lot of different things, but ultimately its core meaning in regards to the conversation that we're having is the ability to be awakened from one's conceptual prison and one's conceptual reality. Because automatically as humans, we exist in a very automatic way of existing. In which our brain handles most of the heavy lifting. And I think to be awakened from that perspective is to wake up from the dream that your mind is casting around you and to
1: be more free to experience your conscious experience more fully. So essentially experiencing the present moment without any uh, <clears throat> conceptual overlays that your brain naturally creates. Is that correct? Yes. And
0: I think this is a, a very wide topic that can be attacked from many different angles specifically there's a lot of angles related to i think meditation that come up in which you can free yourself from the natural perspectives that your mind forces you into and that is a perspective that i think is valuable and allows you to be happier in your everyday existence
1: yes i agree with that because uh generally when people suffer they're really torturing themselves Uh, For example, I saw this one study where um, people who meditate on a regular basis, uh, who according to what we're trying to say is that when you meditate on a regular basis to detach yourself from the conceptual mind, um, then you're not limited by the conceptual mind. And our conceptual mind generally tells us that pain um, is a bad thing and therefore we should suffer when when we experience it. And in this study, they took people who uh, meditated a lot <clears throat> and found that their experience of suffering when introduced to pain is less than the average person. And I think that in cap- that can be generalized to uh, non-physical pain as well. Yes. And I think that's kind of what we are trying to talk about, is uh, <clears throat> why should you try to understand what awakening is. It's because uh, one of the many reasons is that you can literally experience suffering less just by becoming more aware and by uh, decreasing your identity, your identification with your thoughts and ideas. Yes, and I believe I know which study you're referring to. And
0: the the conclusion can be summed up as saying that, yes, regular meditators experience less pain, but I think that doesn't really encapsulate the full breadth of what is happening there because if you look at the study the the experience of expert meditators in one experiencing physical pain during the experience of the pain is actually heightened in which you feel the pain more clearly and more acutely because you are more connected to it the reason that you feel less pain overall is because normally what the brain does is it takes the physical moment of experiencing pain and it drags it out right cuz before you if you're anticipating the pain the anxiety of anticipating it is causing suffering as well. And so the, the gradient of how much pain you're experiencing rises in anticipation of the actual pain itself, and then it slowly decreases afterwards because your brain is holding on to those those attachments and those connotations of pain is a thing that is uh, associated with entities that are bad for my <clears throat> survival because the brain is a survival machine. And so it's doing whatever it can to, to illustrate the... The significance of that pain is something you should avoid and i think the reason that expert meditators don't have that same rising and falling action is because they're more connected with the present moment they're detached from the brains uh from what the brain the brain is trying to to illustrate this this problem in anticipation and as an expert meditator you're independent of that and you're detached from it. And even the physical experience of pain when you when you experience it very acutely the moment it's happening you still suffer less even if you feel it more intensely because it's not something that you're identified with, right? It's not something that you are it, you you experience it more fully, but it doesn't have to be automatically bad, right? It's just a sensation. And the sensation yes. of The emotional pain that it causes is something that the brain projects onto the pain.
1: And I think that an interesting result of uh, this conclusion is that anxiety is essentially uh, another form of suffering, except it's entirely an idea. (laughs) You can literally be tortured by the idea of anxiety, (laughs) whereas uh, through meditation, you can reduce and even nearly eliminate that anxiety because you are more in control, I guess, of your thoughts because you're not letting your thoughts run you. You're just sitting there and observing your thoughts. So if anxiety comes, you sit there and you observe the anxiety and it doesn't really bother you. It's just kind of there as if any other kind of physical pain was just there. It doesn't, it's not necessarily innately bad right away, just like you were saying. Uh... So one of the reasons to understand what awakening is is, um, uh, reduced uh, potentially reduced suffering from physical pain and uh, reduced anxiety. Absolutely, and I'm sure there's and... plenty more evidence out there that that would support that.
0: Yeah, and if you observe what um, anxiety is and its purpose and nature, because anxiety, if you are Uh, a deer in a field, right, and there's a lion, you spot a lion in the bushes. Spotting the lion will drastically make the animal anxious because it is now in a survival situation, right? The purpose of that anxious reaction is to elevate your heart rate. It's to make your body uh, have more energy immediately available to your muscles, right? It stops your digestion, like you don't digest food while you're anxious because it's your body diverting all of its attention to make you very mentally tunneled on the perceived threat and it's making you very alert and very heightened in your awareness it's giving you the strength and the focus to be able to get away from the lion right but the problem is that our biological brains that having evolved from monkeys still have this anxiety response and we associate it with all sorts of things that are not lions right we associate it with taxes and with work and with social relationships and all ultimately all of these things are Usually, in some way tied to the brain's motivation system, to which the brain is saying, "Oh, this is a thing that's good for my survival," and thus you become anxious about it. When in reality, none of it <clears throat> matters that much to your survival. Like, is the fact that you uh, is the fact that like you missed a day of work going to negatively contribute to your like literal bodily survival? Like, probably not really. But that's something that yes, causes humans anxiety have kind in of- humans. Because we identify with the biological brain so much. And to be awakened from the dream of your biological brain and its projections on your experience is to be free of that suffering.
1: Um, That's not... I I agree with you, but animals still do experience uh, uh, identification with their thoughts. The special case, I think, with humans is that we have gained the ability to activate our anxiety that part of our nervous system uh via non-actual threats like 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 you were saying uh missing a day of work isn't literally going to kill you but uh we've gained the ability to learn that missing work is bad and when you learn that something is bad you're really just learning that it's a threat to your survival in this case you survive as the identity of a person who attends work at this place um so when you miss work your fight or flight response to an actual threat is activated which is just a slightly different version of what animals experience when they see uh actual predators and we still experience that too when we we see what we perceive as actual predators yeah and it's it's a It's a matter of like the wires in your brain being
0: crossed a little bit because from a societal perspective, anxiety is viewed as a disorder, right? It's a, it's viewed as a mental disorder and psychologists and, uh, medical professionals will actively research how to quote cure anxiety, right? This is a thing. You people will take antidepressants to treat their anxiety because it's viewed as a problem and it's viewed as a, a problem of the mind that's inherent in the structure because of The way that our society doesn't really line up with the way our brains have been evolutionarily designed to work and ultimately we're now trying to change how our minds work to make that line up better with how society functions because really there aren't very many things in everyday society that are threatening to your literal survival beyond like diseases right the, the amount of things that we're anxious about is much smaller than the amount of things, that, or much larger rather than the amount of things that are actually threatening to our survival. And so our brain is now uh, using these anxiety circuits to, it's, it's activating them in situations where they don't need to be active. And now to treat anxiety <clears throat> is to rebalance the system somewhat.
1: It's to, if you can learn to be afraid of, of certain ideas and concepts, you can unlearn it too because the brain has uh, this property called neuroplasticity where it can just change itself, basically. Uh, <clears throat> there are many of exa- examples of uh, brains changing themselves in neuroscience. Neuroplasticity is a very well-researched uh, and documented property of the brain that essentially, if you train it a specific way and it can train itself or you can have an external thing train it, you can basically make it learn just about anything or unlearn just about anything. Yes, and and this es- is what meditation does. Meditation. Yes, it's essentially just practicing unlearning, practicing not knowing anything. Because uh what a person who you would call stuck in their mental prison uh they've learned who they are. <laughs> they've learned who they are. They know who they are. <laughs> and that's that's and the it's mistake, a bad thing. Is that nobody actually It's a bad thing to think that you know who you are. Uh, You want to sit in that not knowing. In what I've heard you reference uh, to be uh, identified as the structure rather than the content. Yes. Is that how you put it? The space rather than the, the, the actual moment? I think... Because if you...
0: Go ahead. Yeah, I think the... The analogy you're referencing is to, as a problem of identity, right? To be awakened is to identify not as your thoughts and as the, as you mentioned, like knowing who you are, right? To be awakened is not to identify as who you know you are, it's to identify as rather the space of your consciousness because the fundamental nature of life and reality is to change it's to have your brain change it's to have your thoughts change moment to moment and year to year it's to have your experiences change it's to have your everything around you will ultimately change and eventually fall apart when you die and so to be identified with that is to also be identified with the suffering of the loss of what you had before and this is why we mentioned that people who know who they are and identify with that image is bad is because you are identifying with something that will inherently no longer exist at some point <laughs> and therefore you are ex- you have something to lose <laughs> yes you have something to lose and if you i, I think it a an important frame to view awakening as is to identify not as the thoughts in your head or as the identity of the person you think you are but rather as the space of consciousness some some practitioners will refer to this as the capital s self right it's the bubble of consciousness that includes everything it includes all of your thoughts all of your sensations all of the people around you in your visual field it includes all of your knowledge about the english language all of your relationships with other people everyone in your family every thought that you've ever had in your memory when you recall them appear in consciousness and thus this is and the it also space.
1: includes it also includes when you die because when you die uh if you if you're if you're talking about. Uh, the space of consciousness, and if that space is literally equivalent to uh, physical three-dimensional plus time space, um, if those two things are equivalent, then when you die, (laughs) your body is still in the space of consciousness, but it it has just transformed to uh, a, a different organization of the matter it's your brain is no longer functioning but you still exist as that matter and space coming together to form the space of consciousness yeah and
0: uh (laughs) really coming to this realization uh personally as part of an awakening experience i think is in something that helps with anxiety around death a lot and this is maybe a larger topic that we can tackle later on in this podcast but anxiety around death is a society wide problem that i think does not get enough attention because it's something that everyone goes through to some extent and some people are more prepared for it than others but ultimately it is a massive cause of suffering and to treat it is to i think i, I think this is one potential way to treat it right it's to change your identity from identifying with the thoughts coming out of your mental machine the brain and changing the identity to rather identifying as the space of consciousness cuz there are when you when you do enough spiritual insight you can realize that this the space of consciousness is infinite it's infinitely complex in the sense that you can zoom into it forever and it's infinitely wide in the sense that you can zoom out forever and we exist at one particular scale usually because of the way that the biological brain operates because what the brain does is it's really really good at making you feel like it's filling your consciousness right if it has If you're thinking about a thought and a thought appears in your head and you identify with it, and maybe you run with it a little bit and you think for a few minutes, that thought pattern occupies the majority of your consciousness at that time because the brain has convinced you that that is it, that that's who you are. You are the thought. And de identifying with that pattern is part of what awakening is. It's to recognize that your consciousness is not simply the thought that appears, but is simply the infinite space of which this thought is but a mere tiny fraction and if you can sit in a state of not knowing of not thinking of simply observing the thoughts and observing the patterns and observing your sensations you can also observe that the space of consciousness is not just limited to those things it's much wider and that i think is what awakening is it's the recognition of the sheer amount of space that consciousness holds and it's the being able to experience more of that space than most people do in their everyday experience.
1: Yes. <clears throat> Would mm.
0: I think this is also where you get the the concepts of radically open open-mindedness, right? You say to be radically open-minded is one of the most beneficial and positive traits you can have. Well, to be radically open-minded is to simply have a more open mind like it literally more open as in there is more space to fill <laughs> and one of the ways to do that is to expand your consciousness by meditation as a practice by simply observing the space itself directly this is something that happens all of the time 24 7 and if you can use more of that
1: time to observe it directly you get better at expanding it yes and i would say there is a contradiction here and the contradiction is, uh, how do you expand your mind? That That's essentially the entirety of the contradiction. How do you expand your mind because you are only your mind. There's nothing else. How could you possibly open it to anything new? That's essentially the same question as how do you... Get rid of your ego. <laughs> you don't. The ego can't get rid of itself. Uh, the mind can't expand itself. Uh, well, the the ego mind can't expand itself. The the universal, um, infinity mind, <laughs> in which all human minds are held, <clears throat> can uh, expand forever and ever and change forms into anything that it wants. But how does an individual human mind expand itself to Incorporate new ways, new perspectives into its worldview and into its experience. How how does one go about doing that? And I think that what we're suggesting here is that meditation is one technique. Yes. Uh, observing, identi- attempting to identify with the space rather than the content.
0: It's the identifying it's how, the identification of consciousness prior to thought. It's observing the space itself as a fabric. And you mentioned that yes, you, you mentioned the contradiction of how does a, a mind expand itself when the mind is all that there is. And this is I think you I think you accidentally highlighted one of the most core insights into what awakening is, is that everything is already here. Right. The mind is already infinite.
1: <laughs> the consciousness is yes. <laughs> already free.
0: There is no inherent uh, addition or subtraction that needs to happen in order for you to be awakened. Everything is already exactly yeah. how it is. It's simply a matter of awakening
1: to the fact that it's already there. And yes, the mental prison is held within freedom. (laughs) It is. And it's held within infinite freedom. It's it's a bit of a
0: logical paradox, but it's one that you can only really unravel through personal experience because it's very, very difficult to articulate the significance of something like an awakening experience when the the act of awakening itself is not something you can teach, right? It's something that you just has to happen, and it has to happen through through a lot of hard work, and it has to happen through intentionality, right? You have to want to be awakened on some level in order for you to experience it fully, because, as I mentioned before, consciousness is an infinite field, and there are levels to awakening. You can... I think stage one of awakening is simply realizing that there is a lot more to the complexity of the mind than maybe you <clears throat> intuited automatically just by living your life, right? and that happens yes i
1: would I, I i would guess that the majority of people who live their full life never come to that <laughs> come to that stage get to that stage
0: yes and there's uh there's an episode of Midnight Gospel in which the host describes existing in a human body as living in the world through a snorkel made of meat right <laughs> and the problem is that people start thinking that they are the snorkel, right? But you're not the snorkel. If you if you identify as the snorkel, you would just look through this tiny hole, and all you see is a little window through the world. But the second you realize that you aren't the snorkel, suddenly you can look around a lot more freely. And suddenly yes. your experience becomes much wider than the little tunnel you were looking through before. And it's really hard, because if you've existed in the tunnel your whole life, and you didn't know that there was anything outside of it, then how would you ever know how to explore the space around it and this is the the reason why i think this work gets sort of frowned upon a lot is because you can't teach it directly you can't teach what it is to be awakened you have to just experience it and it's really hard to get people to care about experiencing it when (laughs) they haven't even seen that there's anything there to find (laughs) it's like having someone it's like handing someone a guitar who's never heard music before. It's like you can pluck at strings and think, oh, wow, that sounds like different than I've heard. But it's very different from like hearing music. And to be awakened yes. is to be Jimi Hendrix, right? It's to have the full <laughs> suite of, of of music at your disposal. It's to be able to, to experience it more fully. And that's not to say Jimi Hendrix is the only form of music and certainly there are many different ways to be awakened and many different angles you can tackle it from and many different levels you can explore but that's a wonderful analogy yes but you need to, you need to, to know what music sounds like before you can ever know how to play a guitar right
1: yes but jimmy hendrix doesn't know what music is he just knows how to make it the most beautiful thing ever <laughs> um it's it's a it's an artistic expression it's uh in terms of uh, being an awakened person and living and meditating, uh, that, I like the analogy of Jimi Hendrix because you can, you can live very artfully only if you practice living mindfully and uh, essentially pursuing awakening is, is the only way that you can truly master everything about uh, your, your present moment. You can live in the present moment as a practice. You can just say, okay, all I'm going to do is just sit in the present moment and observe it and be okay with it. If you can do that for your entire life, (laughs) then you will be uh, such a master at just sitting there and being okay and observing the present moment. And we're saying that that's all you need to do. You don't need to do anything else. (laughs) I mean, you don't need to do anything, period. (laughs) But... that's how you would become a a Jimi hendrix of now of the present moment that's how you you would become an awakened master is to just observe the now you don't have to know what it is you just have to become a master of it
0: (laughs) yes and this is what uh culture is like uh in like tibet with traditional like buddhism there's if you're a monk and you sit on a mountain then your experience sitting on the mountain
1: will be very full. A monk sitting on a mountain is the equivalent of Jimi Hendrix uh, playing the most beautiful riff. (laughs) It is. And I think this is
0: frowned upon somewhat in Western cultures is the experience of sitting on a mountain. And Western society would look at that as, oh, you've wasted your life, right? You have in some way... Uh, not fully engaged with reality because you've sat on a mountain and just done nothing your whole life. But I think those people who sit on mountains and do nothing their whole life are far more engaged with what reality is than the people
1: frowning down at them. Because they spend their whole life identifying as the fabric, as the most fundamental substance, whereas the westernized people identify as the ideas, such as money. (laughs) So they'll, they'll spend their entire life pursuing... Uh, what they think reality is, which is money, and then end up being disappointed because money isn't reality. <laughs> Absolutely, and in some ways, money is
0: reality in the sense that it is an appearance in consciousness, but it is not yeah, and consciousness it has,
1: itself. It has an effect on. It has an effect on consciousness. It, it has an effect on my consciousness. It it, it drives me to do things. Uh, it gives me an incentive to do things. So there's like, it it's an abstraction that's real it's an idea that's what i that's essentially what ideas are they're uh uh the matter that makes up your brain which is atoms and neurons and whatever and then you have these abstractions (laughs) higher order configurations of those atoms that tell you money is a thing even though it's not a thing it's just this abstract thing (laughs) so essentially we're trying to get rid of all of those abstractions, and just go straight to the source. The the essentially identifying as the atoms and neurons, and and observing what it means to be atoms and neurons. Because it's it's not it's not obvious at all what base fundamental reality should be. <laughs> if you, if you were the entire universe, what would you be? <laughs> um. Well, I guess the universe wanted to be atoms, <laughs> so. What does that feel like? Well, you can know what it feels like, because you're atoms. <laughs> but most people never really take the time to look at what at ad- being atoms feels like, I suppose. Yes, and I, I think there is a certain uh,
0: level of abstraction to being atoms that is still...
1: Yes, a- atoms is also an abstraction, it's... because atoms don't actually exist. <laughs> I
0: think it's deceiving to say they don't actually exist. I think they exist... As an appearance in consciousness, in the sense that you can observe an atom in a microscope, and by that logic, uh, intuit that you are also made of atoms, and you can observe your atoms directly. But all of those observations that you have made about what atoms are were perceived through your visual field. It was perceived through the knowledge that you formed in your head. That was uh, being recalled as part of your your monkey brain, right? Your biological brain, and ultimately yes. All of your knowledge about what atoms are, and all of your observations observing atoms directly, still appear within your conscious experience. And this is the... This is the problem with Western society and with perceptions of awakening, is that the the experience of being conscious is taken for granted, and it is taken as a perfect portal into a physical world rather than the material of the world itself. And ultimately... This then leads to the lie of your your monkey machine mind constructing reality around itself. Because if you are bought into the lie that your consciousness is taken for granted and it is but merely a window into the actual, actually physical, like, base reality of the world, then you take it for granted also that your mind and your thoughts as appearances in consciousness are not special and they're just you. And this is now the problem is that you have identified with them and you have bought into the lie because you have not looked closely enough at your own thoughts and at your own observations and at your own perception to realize that it was all a dream and that in some level you have constructed it as an appearance in consciousness rather than experiencing the consciousness in its pure form for itself. And thus,
1: yes, I I like, sorry, what were we going to say?
0: I was going to wrap that up by saying, and thus awakening is to awaken from the dream of your conceptual reality.
1: Yes, absolutely. I like what you said about, um, when you observe atoms, they really just appear within your consciousness. Uh, and that means that you don't necessarily have to be made out of anything other than consciousness. If atoms exist, great. That's wonderful. If I'm made of atoms, wonderful. But, I've never actually seen anything other than what has been presented in, in, to the space of consciousness where my whole life has been held. Um, so, w- <laughs> Also, if atoms are real, then if I look at atoms under a microscope, <laughs> then what that actually is, assuming atoms are real, is atoms in my brain are looking at atoms and abstracting that information. <laughs> So, it's atoms looking at atoms, and that's also part of the the problem of Western societies that it, which is I think what you were talking about is that when presented with the issue of, okay, but you're atoms looking at atoms, <laughs> therefore, how do you know <laughs> how do you how do you know that there's actually atoms if you are atoms already <laughs> uh Western society just kind of ignores this problem. They're like, oh no, that's that's a pretty objective view. I'm pretty sure that there are atoms, <laughs> but they they don't admit that they're at like they admit that they're atoms, but they don't acknowledge how complicated of an issue it becomes when the problem is that atoms are studying themselves.
0: This is why I don't like the word atheist. I think the word materialist makes a lot more sense. It's because a materialist. Might usually Materialists are usually atheists. They believe in something other than uh, any spiritual flows or conscious properties that define their experience. They believe in a material reality that they can describe and explain that they think they exist in. And that's fine, but the materialists are, are constrained in this finite bubble, right? I think bubble is the wrong word because I describe consciousness as a bubble, right? Materialists are in a box because a box is a uh, is very very rough dimensions right a very articulate shape you can look at a box and you can say oh it has this very sharp corner it has this this length and this width and this height and it has a very defined space and what materialists try and spend their whole life trying to do is describe what is in the box without ever realizing that the box that they have that they are trying to describe is actually imaginary and that they have constructed <laughs> they the created box the box in, in their own minds <laughs> And that the box actually exists inside of an infinite bubble. And the infinite bubble is consciousness. And the bubble is so much bigger than the box. But you can't show you that can to them because they've, they've constructed an opaque box around themselves to the point of not knowing that there was a bubble. If you are in a room, you don't see the sky, right? If you're in a room with no windows, that's just your room. And that's your life. <laughs> but to be awakened is to have a window it's to be able to see the bubble somewhat or at least see that there is space outside of the box and that space is what allows your minds to be more free and to be more open and ultimately to be less attached to the items within the box if you are in a room with a window and you can see outside the window that there are miles and miles of beautiful forests and rivers and mountains around you to look at Suddenly, the little like fidget you were playing with at your desk seems far less important in the world because you've got like a 10,000-foot mountain outside your window to look at. Right? This is the analogy. If the, once you know that there is so much more to observe, then what is in the box becomes somewhat less important. And ultimately, to become less important and to recognize that it's not as important, is to be free of the attachment to it. If there's something stressful or threatening inside the box, it suddenly becomes a lot less important and threatening once you realize how small it is and compared to everything else. And this is the, the perspective of meditation, is that you open your mind to give yourself space between you and your thoughts. And I think the the analogy that I like to use to describe the mind and the, the biological brain and perspective to consciousness, I think it's useful to view them as separate entities because your biological brain, it has... Motivations. It has desires, and it has very clear goals. Its goal is to keep your genes and your body alive and to allow you to reproduce. That is your biological goal, and that is what your brain will push you to do at every waking moment of every day. And to do that, it's kind of like a petulant teenager, right? It never shuts up. It's constantly pushing you. It's making you feel somewhat negative emotions to push you to get to the place where it wants you to go. This is what anxiety is. This is what suffering is. This is what pain is. It's all biological mm-hmm. signifiers to push you, the body, to reproduce and to stay alive. But the capital S self, the capital Y U, the space of consciousness, doesn't have to be beholden to these goals. You have the freedom to fully ignore the brain and to simply notice its, notice its output, its appearances in consciousness, its thoughts, and to let them go and to ignore them and to be free of them. And in this way, the brain is very much like a machine, right? It's very much a computer that takes in inputs throughout your entire life, it builds circuits, it learns. And as you repeat behaviors, those circuits become stronger and your thought patterns become more predictable. <coughs> but ultimately, you are always producing output from input. And whether or not the brain functions as a computer in this way, we it's very hard to describe the brain. Neuroscience is kind of far behind, I think, in, in technology <laughs> cycles, but... It's useful to, I think, observe the mind as a machine, and to view its outputs as nothing more than the outputs of a computer—the thoughts in your head—and to then realize that you aren't the
1: computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. You, <clears throat> you do have the capacity to re- reprogram the computer. I liked when you talked about it's how it's like in like an angsty teen. Yeah, because it literally is an angsty teen <laughs> for angsty teens. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> that's what that's what the mind is. That's it. That's it's their it's their. Uh, survival driving factors making them be unhappy with XYZ so that, uh, they are more likely to survive according to their genes. Um, their genes built their brain a certain way, and their brain interacted with their environment a certain way, and the combination of those two things resulted in this uh, angsty teen, I suppose. Um,
0: I think this is also a useful perspective to observe other people through. If you say, hey, look, this other person that is maybe causing me distress at this moment and maybe acting like a child, even though they aren't, maybe it's because they literally are a child on the inside, that their brain never really figured out how to develop past the angsty teen stages. And in a sense, every yes. human is like this to some extent, but I think it reflects more in other in some people rather than others. And I think what what makes it reflect stronger in some people, to people who are less mature, who act like children even though they aren't. Those are the people who are more connected to its outputs as their own identity. It's because the brain never
1: really stops becoming an angsty teen, right? To be mature... Unless you reprogram it. Unless th- <laughs> yeah, the, the, the brain. Is, is that what you're saying? That the brain itself is always going to uh, interpret pain as something that needs to be like reacted violently to. Yes,
0: this is, the, I think, in the brain's very nature is to it's to overreact, right? The brain's entire job is to keep you alive and keeping you alive requires drastic action a lot of the time. And so that makes people impulsive. It makes people immature. It makes people not exactly very conscious of how their actions are affecting other people in the world around them. It's because they're so focused on what their brain thinks is the immediate survival need and they identify so closely with those uh, the reactions of the computer that they they simply exist in this state and they never develop the brain uh, at least not um, intentionally right you don't have the intentionality <clears throat> of saying I'm going to improve my brain and become more mature and improve my interactions with
1: other people the whole like yes you live the un- unconscious life where you never make the uh, decision to consciously reflect back on yourself and uh, observe if there's a better way of acting rather than the pre like the default uh, method of acting.
0: Yes. And I think what to be mature is a combination of two factors. It's a combination of how much space you can put between you and your thoughts. And it's a combination of it's a combination of that. And also how much effort you have put into designing your brain to be more in line with the vision that you have. And that vision is often skewed by uh, it's a bit of an internal feedback loop, right? You, you want your brain to be more like the the brain that would help you survive better because that's what your brain wants, right? It's a sort of a self-feedback self loop that can also cause problems <laughs> because if you're working towards the motivations that your brain has set for you rather than the experience of more closely connecting with your own reality, then in some way you have also sort of moving in the wrong direction, I think. But even that can lead to a higher level of maturity that will then give you more options in terms of awakening to your experience than I think the people who never intentionally put time into developing their minds have.
1: Yes. Another interesting thing to note here, I think, is that, uh, so there's these concepts, uh, I think most people are familiar with relativity versus absolute things. Uh, relativity only applies in like uh, a given situation, whereas absolute things are true in every circumstance across the universe we are speaking kind of on the border of both of those things when we're talking about awakening, because can a baby have an awakening? Can an infant, like how old do you need to be to become mature or to meditate or to be aware of yourself? And I think, um, I I think the answer to that, do you, do you have an answer to that? First and foremost, I want to see what your thoughts are on that. I think do babies have the capacity to uh, have awakenings, <laughs> as, as you put it? <laughs> yeah, and I think there is a
0: there is a spectrum in biology, right? And this extends beyond humans. This extends into animals. There is a spectrum. You could call it the spectrum of ego development. You could call it the spectrum of uh, mental development. But ultimately, there is a spectrum in which the lower end of that spectrum is biological creatures who are are very sort of one-dimensional, right? Their goal is to survive. Their goal is to find food. Their goal is to reproduce. And in that sense, they are very, very connected with the outputs of their mental machine because their mental machine is good at keeping them alive and getting to those goals. And as the spectrum, as you move up the spectrum and as you become more intelligent and more aware and more conscious towards maybe moving from an animal into a human, into maybe a younger human, a younger human has more ability to contemplate uh, intelligent thoughts and to think deeply about their own experience than say a mouse does right and this is the i think the spectrum continues to move as humans develop so an infant is going to be far lower on this spectrum than uh, a developed adult who is well into their spiritual development because they're still as a baby haven't developed the minds yet to be to reach the level of intelligence necessary to Sort of process these deeper insights, and so while their experience might be logically as equally as capable of experiencing something like awakening, where they they distance themselves from their their biological brain more, I think there's also a level of intelligence that makes it easier, right? And this is why I think some of the smartest people you will ever meet are the people who have realized this, and I think some of the smartest people I know are people who have awoken to this fact of being able to distance themselves from their own minds and being able to consciously experience the world more closely. (laughs) And I think these, the concepts of intelligence and uh, exploration of consciousness are are at least correlated, if not directly linked.
1: Yes. And that, that is mind boggling to me. (laughs) I would agree with you, but essentially how how does uh having the quality of intelligence which is essentially a well organized and efficient brain for human sake uh how how does that make you have a higher capacity to become spiritual because the the essence of spiritual teaching and awakening is that there's essentially nothing to learn <laughs> there's 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 just emptiness that you just sit and observe. Um, So how can an intelligent being (laughs) more profoundly experience an awakening? I think when I said these were correlated, but
0: maybe not directly linked, what I I meant there was that a large part of, I think, spiritual practice and about exploring consciousness is derived from intentionality. And if you have Mm -hmm. the right intentionality, you have so many more tools at your disposal to explore a topic like this, because if you don't have the intentionality, if you aren't actively trying to explore it, the only way you're going to get any taste of it is through sheer random chance, as if you are quite literally forced into an experience where you are disconnected from your mind. And this can be done via substances. It can be done via uh, different exposure to different people. Just conversations with like the right kind of person, I think, can have this effect, where you are presented with an idea that is too compelling to ignore and thus you sort of accidentally get a taste, right? But that's, I think, a much weaker form of exploration because, again, you're doing it via random chance. You have no control. You have no exposure to the tools that make it so much easier. And so the reason intelligence is correlated with this is because to be intelligent and is to have a greater capacity to think deeply about your own experience, and thus you have a much more likely outcome of naturally developing the intentionality to want to explore it (laughs) yes so you ask could a baby have an awakening i think think a baby could have an awakening i just don't think a baby would ever care enough to want to
1: (laughs) yeah and that's that's partially the thing with awakenings is uh we're saying that it's identifying with the greater bubble well the greater bubble already exists it exists as assuming there is some sort of physical world It exists as everything in that physical world, including inanimate objects. (laughs) So, rocks, uh, I guess, by our definition, are experiencing constant awakening. Because they're just sitting as this non-intelligence, non-organized set of conscious atoms. Um, And it's only... I guess only by falling asleep can you wake up? Only by becoming identifying as the present moment, as the, the thing within the present moment. I think... Only by identifying it as that thing can you wake up, I think. <laughs> Otherwise, the default mode of all of existence is just this blank consciousness state, <laughs> where it's just empty awareness.
0: Yes, and I I disagree with you somewhat when you say that the the rock is awakened. I think... I think the point that you're articulating is that when it comes to consciousness, there isn't necessarily a rule that says you have to have uh, a biological mind or or a computer of some kind to experience consciousness because consciousness is something that is universal, and in that everything that has ever existed from your perspective has appeared in your consciousness, and thus you cannot escape it. it is consuming of everything. But I think there's a there's a difference between being infinitely conscious and being able to intelligently appreciate the importance of that right because to be a rock is just to exist and to exist is fine and ultimately that's one of the aspects of spiritual practice and in meditation is to just exist and to fully experience what that's like to just exist and be appreciative of that But there's also an element of the biological minds that lends this aspect of intelligence to that experience, to where the insights you can have about that experience are, I think, far more complex and nuanced and intuitively observed than a rock could ever hope to muster, right? I think a very spiritually developed human is a much more spiritual entity than a rock is in that sense. And it's a different aspect. I think to be fully awakened is a combination of the expansion of consciousness and the expansion of intelligence. I think these are two elements that I would like to discuss more deeply in a different episode. I think we're going to have an episode along the lines of what reality really is. And I think that would be a good episode to talk about this in. But I I agree. I, I think there is a fundamental difference there. And there is at least a difference in what the experience looks like. Because to the experience of intelligently contemplating and thus appreciating the infinite realm of your <clears throat> conscious awakening is different than just being a rock in consciousness, if that
1: makes sense. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, Which is not to say that there, I, I it's inherently also... <laughs> better or worse, right? It's just different. <laughs> right. Um So I would argue that a rock has a degree of intelligence and that degree of intelligence is simply the way that it's currently organized. The exact location of all of the atoms, the momentum of all of the electrons, etc. Your brain has that same level of intelligence, but in addition to that, it has a higher order of intelligence. And that's what you're talking about for uh, that higher order intelligence can understand what it's made of to a degree whereas a rock doesn't really have that capability. It can't really contemplate what it is. It can only be what it is. Uh, That's kind of a special trait that humans have, (laughs) Which which is nice. And I think I agree with you about how that makes intelligence related to awakening, just because a rock can't contemplate the nature of itself, whereas humans can, and that leads to existential experiences. I guess, where we have this contrast between identifying as a person and and identifying as nothing. I think it's both of those things coming together (laughs) where we get the really crazy stuff. (laughs) And, yeah, I I suppose The Rock just doesn't have the capacity to appreciate how crazy that is.
0: (laughs) There's a, a visual way that you can sort of understand this in the the Buddhist concept of Indra's net, right? It's that all the consciousnesses in the world are connected. That's the original Indra's net is that every dot on the, every intersection on the network is an Atman, right? It's a consciousness, it's a soul. And the Buddhist perspective to this is that it's, the nodes don't actually exist, right? It's the connections that are important. It's the one fabric that is reality and that you as an individual the illusion of self is created by uh, a network convergence, right? It's two lines on the infinite plane of this net converging. But there isn't actually anything there. It's just the fabric (coughs) intersecting with itself. And that creates the illusion of self. And I think what it is to be human and to have uh, a a method of intelligently processing information, which, by the way, I think this extends beyond humans. I want to talk later about superintelligence and artificial intelligence. I think that would be a fanta- a fantastic topic to relate <laughs> Absolutely. into this. But that'll be wonderful. I, I don't think there's anything <laughs> unique to the human mind in regards to intelligently processing information. I think that machines do it differently, but they can do it to similar degrees. And eventually as technology progresses, we will see the full extent of that, right? But to be able to process information i think is to exist on a network convergence in the field of consciousness to the point where the perspective that that intersection has granted you allows you to to process information more deeply and it's the it's again the intersection of the fabric itself and also the perspective that gives you the appreciation for its extent and I think that's a use, that's it's getting a useful too metaphor. Crazy for
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's that is wonderful. Wow, what a wonderful statement. I want I um, want to talk more about it in that in a future episode. I think it's a fascinating
0: concept from yeah, Buddhism.
1: Definitely. One I think we have time for one more thing maybe? Yeah. Do you have any uh thing that you wanted to talk about? Cuz I have one one little thing.
0: Well, let's wrap up with your topic and then we'll conclude this episode for today.
1: Okay. Uh, so I, I just wanted to go back to the topic of zooming in and out of the infinite bubble of consciousness and how we are at one particular stage, one, uh, I guess, frame, one zoom frame. We are at the level of human. The 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 size of the frame is human. <laughs> Actually, what is the size of the frame? Where are the borders? <laughs> <clears throat> Um, do you think it's possible <clears throat> to experience the entire bubble zoomed all the way in and all the way out simultaneously?
0: If it is, it is beyond me, <laughs> but I, uh, I certainly think <laughs> that, I I think that by its very nature, if we describe it as an infinite field, which you can infinitely zoom into and infinitely zoom out of, then it's it becomes very difficult to say oh you've experienced it all right it becomes yes. because to experience it all would be to literally be like god and to be the to be the entire field yes. and i think it is <laughs> and the
1: entire field exists it
0: does but i think there's a disconnect between the experience of being i think there's something inherent about being human and having a a biological brain that makes it difficult or potentially impossible to experience the full infinity of it which is not to say that you can't experience a much much broader swath and i think there are levels of consciousness that you can reach that are so zoomed out and so zoomed in that it feels like you are infinitely far from the frame that you were purely because you literally can't see it anymore, right? It it's so insignificant or so <laughs> so far from your current experience of consciousness that it it feels radically changing. And it's a it's an existential and spiritual question as to whether you can like experience the full infinity
1: of everything, but
0: I suppose there's no rule that says you can't.
1: I I guess there is no rule that says you can't. I think it's interesting though that we just find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the experience of a singular neuron and the entire Milky Way galaxy (laughs) we're right in the middle of that um we are literally the Milky Way galaxy but just this tiny little part of it and we also are all of our 80 billion neurons each of which is having their own little zoomed-in experience of themselves metabolizing sugar the way that they do Uh, you know firing with their action potentials or reorganizing themselves uh <clears throat> literally just doing their little day-to-day functions in the same way that we do our little day-to-day functions in the same way that the galaxy the entire milky way galaxy is doing its uh i don't know if the galaxy has days but you understand what i'm saying
0: <clears throat> a day um, is an arbitrary yeah, unit that's... of time that we've used that is useful on earth but uh <laughs> maybe it doesn't mean much on a galaxy-wide timescale <laughs> yes um, any final thoughts on that topic I think that's a wonderful conclusion I think that's a, a very cool idea to to watch the infinite zooming in and zooming out of consciousness at play and I think this is a, an exercise that you can do just in your everyday life right try to, try to consciously experience <clears throat> what it's like to have a smaller field to be more zoomed in try and consciously experience like the sensations on the tip of your finger, right? And then try and zoom out and consciously experience what it's like to to exist in a, a broader state of consciousness in which your your mind is a much smaller part of it, right? This is what meditation is. It's to expand. And the contrast between those I think is a, a very interesting and useful spiritual exercise
1: that I think has a lot of value. Nice. Also, one final final thing. <clears throat> My personal uh, theory is that um, there is an entity that lives through all things, and I call it God, aka the universe, Um, and that uh, the entire universe exists as a singular organism, where it is made up of the individual parts such as people and planets and galaxies in the same way that you are made out of your individual atoms and neurons (laughs) where it all exists and it's all conscious and it's all experiencing everything all at once (laughs) but it is made of these infinitesimally tiny parts and yes that is what i want to end on
0: how about we use that as a teaser for our next episode and we have that as our our next episode topic of of talking about what is god what is the hierarchy of intelligence what is a holon because i think there are many aspects that i can add to in that and i'd love to have that conversation sure so there's our teaser for the next episode thank you for listening to this episode of an awakened life we'll be back uh next week thanks a lot